Let's pray. God, we do celebrate your presence here this morning. We're so grateful for the way you've called us together in this church this time. And we want to hear once again from your word. So would you settle my heart, clear my mind, allow me to speak clearly for you, to your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, there it was, right in front of me, in black and white. I love to see my name in print, and it said clearly, Paul Allen is perfect. <laughs> there it was. I was 14 years old, and I like to see my name in print, but I was a little bit surprised because I knew I had pitched a good game the night before. I knew we had won, but I didn't know I had pitched a perfect game. In fact, I'm not really sure at this point if I even knew what a perfect game was, but I faced 21 hitters in seven innings, no hits, no walks, and we won. Paul Allen is perfect. There it was. <laughs> you know, I, I clipped it out, and I've reminded my family from time to time, this is, this is who I am. Actually, it's a pretty hard bill to live up to. When I was in college, my best game was a one-hitter, and I lost it. It was a first-inning home run that I gave up, and we lost one to nothing. So, you know, you come close, but it's really hard to achieve perfection, even in a moment, ever. It's just not humanly possible. That's the way life is, and yet I think we are willing to celebrate anyone who's getting close and has just a moment of touching perfection. I can't claim that in my ministry. Today I'm wrapping up 41 years of full-time pastoral ministry, vocational ministry, and 19 of those 41 years here. Pretty incredible. But I don't think you or I would want to call me a perfect pastor, nor would you or I want to call us a perfect church. That's just not possible to think that way humanly. We're not perfect. We know that deep down. But once again, I think we want to celebrate the attempt toward what really feels like a job well done. We want to celebrate that both congregation and pastor this morning. We want to celebrate any attempts that we make and recognize uh, that we're going to fall short. We all fall short. But I think in this moment, we want to recognize that, that God is with us, helping us even in those times where we fall short. Because we have high ideals. We do have perfection. We have God's glory, God's character to live up to, and that's going to always challenge us. And as a church, the greatest collection of those high ideals that I keep touching in on is this collection of ideals in Ephesians 4. So if you have your Bible open still or grab one to open, I'm just going to work through some of the principles here because I think, although this isn't exhaustive, this text is really giving us the basics of church life in some really helpful handles to grab hold of. 
And I've gone back to this text again and again because it's so instructive for us as a church, for me as a pastor. In fact, it was from this text and from this outline that I brought my first sermon to you 19 years ago. It was March of 1999, and I was a candidate. I didn't know if you would vote affirmatively, but I came with this text, this basic outline, and now with 19 years of additional thought added on to it. But I think that it's that instructive. It's that important that we go back and keep touching in with this text and reminding ourselves what the church is all about. Four marks I see Paul challenging the first church and even the church today to live up to. The first one I'm going to call charity. Now I'm using charity not in the sense of a charitable donation to a charitable organization. I'm using charity in the old English sense of love. And the reason I'm using charity over love is because, first of all, love is quite overused in the English language and can mean a whole lot of different things. So I'll stick with the King James charity. Plus, it rhymes with the other words in my outline. <laughs> and, and preachers do this kind of thing every once in a while. I don't know why they do, but it's just a quirky thing. So play along with me. It's charity this morning. This whole text is wrapped up in God's love, charity. At the end of verse 2, we see the words, in love. At the end of verse 16, we see the words, in love. The whole text is intended to be bathed in love. God's love. It's a, it's a challenging kind of love. It's a love that is sacrificial, unconditional, seeks the best in the other person. I mean, it's a high the highest kind of love. It's a love that is going to affect everything. It's God's love. It's his character. He's expressed it best in Jesus Christ and his coming to earth and dying for our sins. It's shed abroad. This love is shed abroad through God's spirit, put in our hearts and shared among his people. This is the kind of love that should bathe everything the church is doing. We can have a 126-year history. We can have beautiful facilities and very functional facilities. We can have visionary leadership. We can have balanced budgets, good attendance, pushing into the old library, Narthex now. All of this is good, and we can have that, but in the words of 1 Corinthians 13, if we don't have love, we have nothing. It's just kind of a, a shell. Love is at the very core of what we've been called to be as a church. Charity is the important piece in, in our existence as a church. And it's hard. It's hard because we're not perfect people. And yet, it's our very imperfection that calls forth this kind of love that is unconditional sacrificial, seeking the other one's well-being. But it's hard. Maybe you've heard the little couplet that goes to, um, now how does it go? Um, to dwell above with those we love. Oh, that will be glory. 
to dwell above with those we love, oh, that will be glory. To dwell below with those we know, well, that's a different story. <laughs> it is. It's a different story because the saints here below aren't, aren't perfect, and we need the kind of love that makes that work. So love is at the very core of what God has called his church to be. May we never lose that characteristic. It wraps up everything else we're going to say this morning. The next trait is unity. See, it rhymes with charity, so go with me. Unity. We see the word unity in verse 3. Unity of the Spirit. That brings us back to our theme during this sermon series. The unity of the Spirit. And then you'll see a whole sequence of seven ones in verses 4 and 5. Seven items, people, truths that wrap us together as Christ's church. This is an important part of what we're called to be is, is a one church united. Early in my reestablishing Christian faith as a young adult, I latched on to the writing of C.S. Lewis and Mere Christianity, and many of you have joked how often I have kind of sainted him and quoted him through the years. But C.S. Lewis had this idea of mere Christianity being what most Christians through most times and places around the world have believed about the Christian faith, mere Christianity. He illustrated it as that common hallway we all walk through on our way to our different, dare we say, church and denominational rooms. We all walk through a common hallway to get to these different areas that we feel at home in personally. And so it is that, that thing that unites us, that common hallway, that mere Christianity, has been for me a very important calling. And that's one of the reasons I'm really grateful to have spent 29 of my 41 years in a denomination that really does this seeking after unity and mere Christianity. The Evangelical Covenant Church, you may not realize it, but really tries to live up to that stressing of what unites us rather than what makes us unique. We don't stress what makes us unique and distinctive here. We stress what unites us, the, the stuff of mere Christianity. That's why I've been honored to be a part of this movement in two different locations right here in DuPage County. And uh, for me, I felt right at home instantly and continue to be at home in this group of churches because of that. But I need to let you know that unity is a hard thing. It's a hard thing to keep. It's not something we create. The text says we maintain it. And it's going to take effort to maintain it. It takes a lot of work. Whether it's in the local church, it takes work. In a denomination, it takes work. And in the church of Jesus Christ, broadly, it takes work. I know many of you here today are coming, especially family and friends, are coming from other churches. A lot of us have come from all over the Christian church map. And we have a hard time staying as a united church. That's, that's what Christ prayed for. And we have to work at it. Not that we create it. God, God made our unity in himself and in the truths we gather around his word 
but we've had a tendency to emphasize our differences, and it works against us. There's a classic story of Peter taking a new resident of heaven around heaven itself and showing this new resident the, the neighborhoods of heaven. And at one point, Peter gets down on his hands and knees and crawls up to the top of the hill with the new resident. And the resident's wondering, you know, what, what's going on here? Why are we being so secretive? And Peter whispers, look down in the valley. Those are the Baptists. They think they're the only ones here. The great thing about that story is you can insert in the word Baptist any group you want to and just kind of put them in there because they think they're the only ones here. The truth is they're not. And here's the sad thing about that story is you can insert any denomination or church group you want to in there. That's sad because it works against the unity that Christ prayed for and that we have to work for, not just here, but in the, the broadest sense of the church of Jesus Christ. So we're called to unity, friends. Don't, don't ever lose that high ideal of the unity Christ calls us to. But then in verse 7 through verse 12, we run into a whole other dimension, diversity. Diversity is part of what God intended for the church. And it's a reminder that our unity is not uniformity. We're not a cult. We don't all have to be the same people doing the same thing the same way, underlining and stressing all the same things. In fact, God wants it to be a group of different people coming together. Certainly as we do that in, in our love and unity, that's where it's really going to work. But it's in the differences that we have real delight in the work of the church. It's important in this text that we see it in terms of giftedness. That's what Paul is writing about, the gifts that the ascended Christ gives the church, especially leadership gifts in this text. It's the leadership gifts, those who minister God's word as a, as a specialty. And it's in verse 12 and 11 that I find my job description as a pastor as one who's a pastor and a teacher, in verse 12, what am I to do? I'm to equip the saints, and don't think that's another group. That's all believers. That's all of God's people. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. You see, the pastor-teacher isn't supposed to be doing all the ministry. The pastor-teacher is to be equipping all of God's people to be doing the ministry. And, and God's word is the way we primarily do that, is right around this, this scripture. Jesus told the parable of a servant who was left with the responsibility to feed the other servants at the appropriate time. It's the same picture. I am merely a servant with you, having the privilege, the honor of teaching God's word to feed you so that we can all keep doing the ministry together. When we come together around the scriptures and we gather to be fed here, 
I use my unique gift, and you're empowered in your unique giftedness, but we do it in a much more coordinated way if we let this and God's spirit be our guide. And so that's, that's the model we have in this text of diversity being a good thing. And there are lots of different kinds of diversity, not just giftedness spiritually, but we could go into ethnic things, we could go into economic things, we could go into hair color, well, we won't go there. But we could go into lots of different areas where we're different. And that's good, that's okay, that's the way it's intended to be as long as it's wrapped in the charity and unity of the body of Christ. Those differences are good. But you know what, I, I think this is deep within us. Our human nature says, if you're different, something's wrong with you. And we go there first before we ever think, wow, you're different, that's great. We just don't think naturally that way. And that's where we need this unifying, loving spirit of God to kind of shape us into people that can celebrate it. Many of you have heard probably more often than you'd like to, a story I keep going back to early in our marriage, Deborah and I found real quickly that we had two different definitions of a clean house. <laughs> two completely different definitions of clean house. My definition is a neat house, everything in its place. Everything, kind of you look around, no clutter, everything's organized, you know where things are, that, that to me is a clean house. That was very disappointing to Deborah if she left me to clean the house because she wanted a different kind of clean. She wanted no dust, no mold, nothing growing in places where it shouldn't be growing. And I just didn't think that way. And, and you could see these things colliding. And we could fight and argue over this if we wanted to. But then the light goes off, and some of you get it. If both of us work on the house, this could be a good thing. The differences didn't have to be seen as a colliding, conflicting thing. They could be seen as complementary. What, what a great idea. That's what this text is all about is the church celebrating its diversity, knowing that, that that's a God-given, complementary kind of difference. It's okay that you're different. I'm different too. Let's celebrate that and do it in the, in the oneness and the love that God intends for his church. The last one is maturity. And this comes up in verse 13. The very word is there. You can see it. Maturity, it's focused in the text, in the words, the measure of the full stature of Christ. If you're wondering what maturity is all about, that's it. It's about not being children, no longer children. Let's grow up in every way into Christ, who is the head. All of this has to do with maturity. Maturity is needed in the church of Jesus Christ. We need to grow up and be the people that he's calling us to be, not just individually, because I think, again, that's the way the all-American mindset goes, is I gotta grow up in my faith. No, this is collective pronouns. We, together, have to grow up. We have to become more like Christ together as a church. That's what we're called to. 
We're to grow up in him. And how will we know if we're there? It's when we're not tossed to and fro, blown about by every wind of doctrine. When we're able to speak the truth in love or love in truth, both ways, we're able to do that well. When we're able to look at one another and we see that every part is is working together and we're coordinated and we're bringing our differences together and it's going well as we build ourselves up in the cause of Christ. That kind of maturity is what we're looking for. It's, It's the body at its prime where things are just functioning the way they're supposed to function. And that's what we're aiming for, maturity. We don't always get there, but that's everything that the charity, love, and diversity is aiming for. And you've heard the the classic formula is that we have unity in essentials, diversity in incidentals, and charity in all things. And that's what leads to maturity. It's when all of those are working together that our goal is we grow up into being a church that really reflects Christ's character. And so I would encourage you to let this text stay with you. It does with me. As I wrap, wrap this up today, I just know that this has been a wonderful place to minister God's word, whether it's formally here or in the homes and hospitals and nursing homes where I've taken God's word, Uh, you've been a congregation that has received God's word as if it really was truth and made a difference in our lives. So I commend you in that. This is a church that has been a joy to serve. It's also been a joy to serve with you. And I know I'm not a perfect pastor. Paul Allen is not perfect. You're not a perfect church, but we have high ideals that that Christ has left us with. Let's let's not compromise those ideals and let's encourage one another to, to strive for them. This is a hard thing. Deborah and I, even though we know this is the right time and we're excited, it's hard to say goodbye. It's sad for us. And yet you can make me most pleased if in the years ahead I hear that Hinsdale Covenant is still seeking these ideals, is still a church that is known for its deep charity, its love for one another, a church that is seeking unity in those things that are most important in the faith, a church that delights in diversity of all kinds. We don't want everybody being the same and a church that is constantly seeking to grow up in the faith and be more and more like Christ. That that would be the most rewarding thing you could present me as your pastor leaving. So I love you. God bless you. And we trust for his reunion in heaven. Amen. Amen. Amen.